0: Well we continue in Matthew and we are looking at chapter 3. <coughs> I'm going to be reading chapter 3. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so yours may be slightly uh, different. In those days John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was repent for your sin, sorry, repent of your sins and turn to God. For the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt round his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey people from Jerusalem and from all Judea and all the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming uh, to watch him baptized, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say we to each other we're safe and we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit... Will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water uh, who's, sorry, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater than I, that I am not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said, so why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Now, as we look at Matthew chapter 3, we are essentially looking at the preparation and the coming of the Messiah. And the conclusion of chapter 3 is to do with the baptism and anointing of the, the Messiah. So we've got him being prepared, the way prepared, he comes, he is uh, uh, baptized, and he is anointed. What we need to just have a think about for a moment is that about 700 years before this event... Um, There is a prophet called Isaiah who lived, and he is the one who prophesied about John the Baptist. He said in Isaiah 40, verse 3 to 5, listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills, straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places." Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it. The Lord has spoken. So this passage that is being quoted about John the Baptist was given 700 years prior. What does that mean? Well, it means once again, we're seeing that God's plan as being outworked. This is not a random event. This is not something that just occurred. It is part of God's plan. What are my, the things that encourages me? as so I'm studying through Matthew. Is nearly every chapter we see that it's happening because God planned it. God planned it. God says it's going to happen and it happened. It may have to wait 700 years but it's going to happen. And so it tells us that Jesus is coming, but this particular prophecy said a couple of things. It says the Messiah is coming, but it says we've got to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. Now, the Israelites knew that before the Messiah would come, Elijah had to come back. We see that in Matthew 17, when the disciples talk to Jesus, it says, Then his disciples asked Jesus, Why do the teachers of the religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus replied, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. So Jesus is tying in again with something that was prophesied 700 years ago. Now Jesus knew that John the Baptist was Elijah. We'll talk about that more in a moment. In Matthew 17, 12 to 13, Jesus says, But I tell you, Elijah has already come, but he wasn't recognized, and they chose to abuse him. And in the same way, they will also (coughs) make the Son of Man suffer, and then the disciples realized he was talking About John the Baptist. So it's really clear Elijah had to come first to prepare the way, and it's really clear that the prophecy is about John the Baptist being Elijah, and Jesus himself is saying John the Baptist was Elijah. And again, it's the fulfillment. The Israelites knew Elijah has to come first, and here we have really clear teaching that says Elijah did come first. The problem is. As with the coming of the Messiah, Elijah did not come as the religious leaders expected. You know, it challenges me You know, I'm asking questions of God about how do we do church in the future because the church of today is the old wineskin and God is changing things. And every time I think about it, I realise that I am still thinking in the way of how things were done. And part of the message for us as we see about the coming of Jesus and the coming of John the Baptist is that God does not do things in a way that we expect it to be done because we know history. They missed it. Now, Matthew, who's writing this, clearly wants people to understand that Elijah is John the Baptist, or John the Baptist is Elijah, and he does it in two ways. He uses this prophecy that people knew spoke about the coming of Elijah for John the Baptist, but then he also describes how John the Baptist looked. Have you ever thought about that? It's a bit odd, isn't it? Not often in the Bible do you find a person is described in how they look. But here, he wants to make a point for those who knew the Old Testament scripture. So he writes in Matthew 3 that we've just read, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. Now if you know your Bible, you'll think, you know what, I've read that somewhere before. And you will have. If you turn to two kings, one, and verse 8 in the Old Testament, it says this. They answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist, and he said, it is Elijah, the Tishbite. So we've got this overwhelming evidence that John the Baptist is Elijah. So the question is, well... How does that actually work? Because obviously we don't believe in reincarnation. We're told in Hebrews, it is destined for man to die once and then comes the judgment. There is no reincarnation. This is the only life you get on this earth. But we also know that Elijah, when he was taken up to heaven, (coughs) he passed on his mantle to Elisha. Elisha picked it up and had the same mantle on him and in the same way we find that John the Baptist has been given the mantle of Elijah because he's coming back and fulfilling what Elijah was going to fulfill. So the question then is, why did Elijah need to come? The Messiah, surely the coming of the Messiah is sufficient. Why do we need Elijah to come first? And to answer that, I'm going to read to you from Luke because it makes it much clearer. So this is Luke 7, 24 to 30. After John's disciples left, this is John the Baptist, Jesus began talking about John the Baptist to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. And he will prepare your way before you. I tell you, of all who have lived, none is greater than John, yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When they heard this, all the people, even the tax collectors, agreed that God's way was right, for they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in religious law rejected God's plan for them, for they had refused John's baptism. And so now we begin to see why the importance of, of John the Baptist coming. Everybody who believed John the Baptist also believed Jesus. Everybody who rejected John the Baptist rejected Jesus. John the Baptist prepared this way where people could repent and all those who did that they were open and ready for when Jesus came and they believed him to be the Messiah but those who rejected John also rejected Jesus Christ and you know there's a lesson that sometimes we miss God because we reject the ones he sends. You know, so often God will send people to say things to us, but we don't quite like the way it's done, or even maybe the person through whom he does it. And so we miss God's word to us because we've ignored that. And it's really important. Those who got saved got saved because of the work that John the Baptist did in preparing the way when Jesus came. And then we find the simple message. Now, it amazes me that Jesus' message that he preached about repent for the kingdom of heaven is near was not his message, it was John the Baptist's message. The originator of that message about repentance came from John the Baptist. Now, obviously, John the Baptist received it from the Holy Spirit, so he received it from God, but Jesus did not change the message that John the Baptist brought. (coughs) Why is that important? because I want to make it really clear. The message of Jesus will never change. God's message through John the Baptist, through Jesus, is still the same today as it has always been, and it is this. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, John the Baptist was really amazing because he understood that it wasn't just about a decision but there needed to be a change. This is what John the Baptist says. He says, even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots and trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. What an imagery. John the Baptist said that if you really believe the message, then your life will produce the fruit that your repentance demonstrates. I always find that a challenge because, you know, we've moved on. I'm a bit older, but when I was younger in church, there was an expectation that if you became a believer, your life changes. It was a foregone conclusion. There needs to be a change because you need to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Today, people kind of say, well, I've become a Christian and they're still doing the same stuff that they were doing before. That's not repentance repentance is about changing your mind and changing your life and not doing those things that displease God but instead doing the things that God says this is, pleases me and this is how we should live and John the Baptist was so good because he said to the Pharisees guys you're not living the life that repentance says you should be living and we could ask ourselves the same question today are we living a life that demonstrates repentance? I mean, there's there's a real warning here that God has got an axe ready to chop down every tree and by trees, talking about people. Every life that does not bear fruit according to repentance and to God will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. And they're using two images here. Because <coughs> in verse 12, he says... He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Now, in case you don't know, when you have a wheat harvest, the wheat has like a husk over it. And so they get a threshing sledge, which is a sledge, uh, it's it's a piece of equipment that has some sharp metal teeth underneath, and they put it and whack it over the grain and it separates out the husk. And the husk is quite light. And then they have a fork, and they get the fork and they throw the wheat into the air, and as the wind blows, The chaff is blown away because it's quite light, but the wheat lands back down on the ground. And so what you then do is you're separating. The chaff is going all over here. The wheat is here. And Jesus says, I will take the wheat and I'll put that in my barn. I'll take the believers and they will go to heaven. And the chaff, those who don't repent, those whose lives don't show repentance, all of that will go in the fire. Twice he says it. He says it about the tree, chop it down, in the fire, there's no fruit. Same with the wheat. I will take my wheat and I will get rid of all the stuff that is not producing fruit. Bad fruit is burned. Good fruit is collected. Now, what amazes me with John the Baptist's message and Jesus' following is that there's something missing. It doesn't say, try to be good. It doesn't say, well, you're not really bad doesn't say attempt as much as you can to be good and all that it simply has this simple word you need to repent one of the things I love about the Christian message is that it doesn't single out any single sin I know there are lists of sins but in the end the Bible says the starting point for anybody to follow Jesus is through repentance And it doesn't matter whatever sexuality you are. It doesn't matter whether you're wealthy or poor. It doesn't matter whether you're a criminal or a good person. The starting place is repentance because every single one of us is a sinner. We sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. You understand that? We sin because we're sinners. It's like during COVID. We pass on COVID because we have COVID. Yeah. People tend to think, well, it's because I make acts of sin that I'm a sinner. No, no. You have in you a nature that will make you sin, whether you like it or not. (coughs) Isn't it interesting that when you have children, for the first, I thought it was going to be for the first five years, but so far it's been for the first 13 years, Uh, you've got to say no. Have you noticed that, that folks don't instinctively do good, they do bad. From childhood on, we do bad. You look at the world, why in in a world that we're living in where we have so much knowledge, we have so much wealth, we have so much global communication, do we now have more conflicts and more strife? I mean, we we had a a boy stabbed up in Manchester, we had a girl stabbed down here. What's going on? It's because there is a sinful nature that is inherent in every human being And without God, that sinful nature will do sinful things. That's why people do bad stuff. If you ever watch some of the um, kind of documentaries where they talk to people who've done bad stuff or the court cases, quite a few of them just say, I don't know why I did it. They've done an atrocious thing and they say, I don't know why I did it. I know why you did it because you've got a sinful nature and a sinful nature goaded on by Satan. Woo! You see, the devil doesn't make you do anything. The devil knows that in you is this temptation to do evil, and he will play on that. I mean, it's like going to a child with some ice cream, saying, hey dude, fancy an ice cream? And what happens is, we, will, willfully, we willfully do those things Because we are sinners. And so the starting place for every single person on this planet, child, adult, old person, for every single person on this planet to follow Christ, to be saved, to go to heaven, starts with repentance. The Bible's quite clear. If there is no repentance, there is no forgiveness of sins repentance is needed for the forgiveness of sins and so we've got John the Baptist bringing this amazing message and you know what I love about John the Baptist he's out in the middle of the wilderness and the whole area comes to see him because God has anointed him to preach a message the sad thing about the message is the religious leaders who knew the Old Testament, who knew the prophecies, who were in power, they rejected the message. And yet it says the prostitutes and the thieves and the tax collectors and all those that society said were the worst in society, they repented. They came. And when Jesus came, they said, yeah, we believe. Why? Because John brought a message that they responded to. Now we also have the final section of this uh, section talks about um, the Messiah appearing. Jesus, John the Baptist is there preaching and he's saying, you know what, I'm preparing the way for the Messiah. He says, one is coming. Can you imagine his surprise the next day? Oh, look, he's here. I mean, that must have blown his mind. He didn't know when he's going to come, but he came. And Jesus comes and says, yeah. (coughs) And then we have this really odd thing about Jesus being baptised. And when you remember that John's baptism was for repentance, you ask the question, why was Jesus baptised? Because he was not a sinner. He had nothing to repent of. Um, I was stumped by that once I was reading a commentary. And this is what he says. What's his name? Michael Wilkins, theologian Michael Wilkins says this. The public baptism, therefore, provides concrete salvation, historical continuity. Sorry about these longish words. But he's on about the relationship between history and salvation. It provides continuity between John's and Jesus' ministries. As Jesus identifies himself with John in the baptism, this represents an endorsement of John's ministry and message and links Jesus' cause to John's. Moreover, as Jesus goes into the waters of baptism, he identifies with his people in their need. That is, he identifies with their sinful humanity, he has come to save. And especially at this point in time with the believing remnant of Israel who come to be baptised. You've got this idea that Jesus gets baptised, he's identifying with John and there's a kind of transference of the ministry. People recognise John's preaching and then he's saying someone's coming who's going to continue more powerful than me. Here's the man, he's being baptised, he's identifying with you and Jesus' message, what was his message when he started? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and so we've got this amazing baptism of Jesus and we've also got God's affirmation on Jesus's ministry because not only is he baptized with the Holy Spirit but there is an audible affirmation from God the Father saying this is my son in whom I am well pleased and so we see this amazing um, <coughs> setup. up of Jesus' ministry that is a a continuation on from the preparation of John the Baptist and all the work John the Baptist has done kind of flows through into what Jesus has also done. But there is a challenge. I I find this, this bit quite challenging. John the Baptist's ministry lasted six months. Six months. He spent 30 years of preparation in the desert to serve God for six months and then his head was chopped off. Why do I find that a challenge? Because often we have a kind of thing, well, ministry should last years. It doesn't. Even the ministry of Jesus only lasted three and a half years. It's not the length of time. It is fulfilling the purposes and plans of God. There are missionaries, there are believers who over the last 2,000 years and especially today who have given their life for the gospel in a short space of time. And we we might think, well what's the value of having such a short thing? The value is is in fulfilling God's purpose. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it bears no fruit, it remains alone. And so we find this really amazing transition into the ministry. So the question then comes, what's the conclusion? How does this apply to us today? Let me say, as I've been saying the last number of weeks, God's plans will come to pass. Whatever promise God has made, we were singing about God's promises this morning, whatever promise... God has made to you, let me tell you, it will come to pass. The second thing is this, the message of Christ has never changed. You may hear messages on YouTube, you may go to other churches and they are no longer preaching that you need to repent, well that is not the message of Christ. Let me be really clear. In our church, as we believe in God, the message is still the same. You need to repent. If you sin, you need to repent. If you're a sinner, you need to repent. And if you don't know Jesus and you want to know Jesus, it starts by repentance. Confessing your sin to him. And then believing the good news. And if we have repented, there needs to be evidence of that repentance. John the Baptist says this, Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. I find that a phenomenal statement. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. (coughs) Because in our British culture and in our British society, there is a religion that is called Christianity, that it's not about people being saved, but it's just another religion amongst other religions where people go through ritual. The way we really know those who follow Jesus is by the way they live. It's not by their attendance on a Sunday. It's not about their smiles or how much they put in the offering. It's about how they live every single day of the week. What they watch on TV, what they talk about, how they treat people, how they treat their possessions, how they treat the promises of God, whether they're living the things that Jesus says, this is how I want you to live. That is a demonstration that we have repented. And so the big question is, are our lives an evidence of repentance? Because that's the challenge, isn't it? That we are living those lives of repentance. And then finally, before Jesus started his ministry, he needed the anointing, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And let me say to you, if you have not been baptized with the Holy Spirit, you need the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Jesus' reliance on the Holy Spirit in terms of the prophetic insight he had, in terms of the power he demonstrated, all came because the Holy Spirit was in him. And the Holy Spirit sometimes led him to difficult things like temptation. But the Holy Spirit also helped him through. And I want to say to you, if you've not had that, don't be depressed about it, but ask God. I find... That when we ask God about things, when we pray to God about things, we need, to, we need to repeat ask God all the time until it's solidified in here. You know, there are things in my life that I pray and I keep praying every day and I might do that for a long time until all of a sudden in here I know it's done. I can't explain that to you, but I know it's done. And every time I'm praying, it's like I'm peeling off another layer and it brings more and more confidence. Because what I'm doing in my praying is I'm asking God and God is slowly giving me more and more faith so that in that situation I can say, right, I believe that now. Because, you know, we sometimes pray stuff and we don't really believe it. We pray for people for healing, but we don't really believe it. And we need to get to that position by continually asking God, because what prayer does, you know, a great saint said, prayer doesn't change God, it changes us. (coughs) And what it does is it develops the faith in us as we are consistently asking God and saying, Lord, we need you to do this. 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 Lord, I want the baptism in the Spirit. The baptism in the Spirit. I want the baptism in the Spirit. And as we continue to pray... A confident comes in, confidence comes in, he's going to give me that. And then it's an expectation, Lord, when? When? I want it now. Lord, when? And then God comes and he supplies that. But we need to persist in prayer. We need to continue in prayer, continue to seek God. Don't pray once and say, I've not had it, it's, it's not for me. And I know that some folks have been asking God for years and not had it. Well, Continue. God will do it and if we pray collectively as a church and we begin to really say Lord I want you to baptize us as a fellowship with the Holy Spirit I need it. I had it years ago and have had measures of the Holy Spirit but I realize again how much more I need to be baptized with the Spirit and we need it for the world that we are facing because we need the wisdom of the Spirit we need the power of the Spirit because that is what's going to change things in the world. And so we see here Jesus going into the water, being baptized by the Holy Spirit, and then he comes out and then he starts his ministry. Let's pray.